welcome to the Sacramentos, a podcast where the ancient Christian faith is brought to bear on issues prevalent in modern culture. We hope moving forward you'll join us for in-depth discussions on how theology intersects with our daily lives. I'm your host, Father Miles Hickson, and welcome to this bonus ap- episode of The Sacramentalist. And joining me today is Father Sean McDermott of the APA and Father Mark Perkins of the APA, both resident at All Saints Anglican Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. Welcome. Amen. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Well, I'm excited to have you all here today. Today we're going to be talking about a project you two have been working on about parish growth, parish life, and what does it mean really to be an Anglo-Catholic parish today in the modern world. So tell me what you're working on. Yeah. So here at All Saints, um, we about seven years ago started experiencing phenomena, which was we were getting young families uh, and other young people coming and visiting our church. And we had to be attentive to this and figure out how are we going to keep this up? How are we going to grow it? What are, what do we need to teach? What do we need to do in order to keep that happening? And over the last seven years, as we have grown and more and more families have started to come, and now we're overrun, literally overrun with children. They rule this church. We have to continually be attentive to that same issue. And so what we talk about on a daily basis is what do we need to do? And a lot of it has then been kind of us as priests and, uh, and our rector, Father Glenn Spencer, asking ourselves, why are people coming in the first place? And what I think you get to is that they're not coming for anything new that we are doing. Father Ben didn't start preaching new types of sermons. We didn't start a new VBS. We didn't do new young adult series on whatever. None of that. Actually, none of it changed. What started happening was just that the young people started coming. And so what we have been thinking about and talking about is that we need to hold ourselves to excellency, be authentic within that excellency, and the people who come will be attracted to that, drawn to it, but then also shaped by it. And that's kind of the key thing. What we have found is that a lot of people coming to us want to be formed and they want to be shaped. They have a lot of good questions. And that's our, that's our goal. What we have come to as a conclusion is that naturally what comes from our baptism uh, are four essential activities of a Christian life. And these activities are always found in the corporate life of the church. And those four activities are excellent liturgy, excellent education, excellent direction, and by that I mean spiritual direction, and then excellent fellowship, which is centered around a weekly parish meal. Those are the four things that are not new programs. They're not new things that you get to choose to do or not to do. These are four activities of every Christian that spring forth from your baptism. And what we have learned to do and to be attentive to is how to nurture those how to grow those and be more attentive to them as people came in. So those are your four pillars. Your four activities for a church would be 
excellence in liturgy, excellence in community focused around the parish mill, excellence in education, and excellence in spiritual direction. Right. And we would say that a church has to be good at those, has to do those to the best of its ability in order not only to sustain itself, but to grow into the future and be able to pass on then the depth of our faith to a, a younger generation. That's great. Well, then let's jump into those. Talk to me about those four things. Sure. Um, so let's start with liturgy, because that's at the heartbeat of any parish church. Um, and, and I, I want to press it to, to be good at it is to be attentive to what it is. Um, it's not a matter of our excellence summoning the Holy Spirit or our excellence making the sacraments real. It's a matter of us living up to the reality that we find in the sacraments. And that's where excellence matters. We are to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And so that is a high uh, vocation that we are fulfilling at the altar. Uh, and primarily this is in, in Holy Eucharist. Uh, and so the questions we asked are, are we doing this to the best of our ability? Are we doing this in common prayer with the other parishes in our diocese? How can we be doing this even better? Uh, but liturgy extends to all of the seven sacraments and also to the other offices um, found in the prayer book and other offices of the church. Uh, attention to liturgy is, I think, foundationally what attracts people to the church. And again, we're not doing it as some sort of growth program. We're doing it because that's what the church does and always has done. But the sort of side effect of that attention to aesthetic detail and excellence is that it's attractive. And part of that is that it's that we're offering the depth of all of those things. Is that when young families came to us, uh, they wanted, when they had a child, to, they wanted us to be at their house, do the churching of women at their house as soon as that baby's born. And so it's not just that we're excellent in how we sing or chant the Psalms. It's that we bring liturgy into every aspect of people's lives. That's a, a long task, and it's going to take our whole lives to do that more and more. But that's what we mean with excellency, is that we have the depth of liturgy in all of our lives. And I think it's that comprehensive sense of liturgy, not, not solely being something that happens uh, at, at church on Sundays, but actually sort of uh, spreading into the entirety of your life, orienting your entire life around the Eucharist fundamentally. Uh, it's that sense of comprehensiveness that I think is really important. And this is where education comes in. Education is the essential activity here because people then, when they come to liturgy, they then need to be educated about why does that affect every single aspect of your life? Uh, we have a phrase we use a lot around here is that everything matters. Everything. It's not that, oh, the just this matters and you don't have to worry too much about those other things. No, everything does matter because these things are central. And so when we have, when we perform a liturgy or celebrate the mass, then we need to follow that up and educate about why that shapes the rest of your life. We talk about how liturgical literacy in the Anglican tradition, in all traditions, is connected with biblical literacy. And so there's a sense of, of education in both of those, understanding your liturgy, understanding scripture. And then the question is, both of those affect how you live. Uh, and, and, and so education is the place where you uh, help people to be attentive to the liturgy and uh, understand how that liturgy should be shaping and forming every aspect of their lives. And what we found then corresponding with that, as we 
educated people more and more is that then they desired spiritual growth as well. So it wasn't just going to mass more and then living the liturgies of the church through the calendar and then learning about how that affects all their life. Then they wanted personal growth to correspond with that. And this is something that we're growing at as a church right now, something that we are learning how to do better and to hold ourselves to a more excellent standard for sure. But what we've seen is that people desire to learn how to pray. And this is from one-on-one mentoring and through guided readings and through retreats. This also doesn't have to be just with a person meeting with clergy. This is where we're really hoping that the APA develops programs to teach laity to become spiritual directors. Uh, But it is that very formal meeting of a a person with a director over time to guide them into learning how to pray well. The goal of all spiritual direction, though, is not just for the individual themselves. These four activities orient an individual or a family within parish life. And it is within the body of Christ that we live and we breathe and we move. And so this is where fellowship is so important. And we have seen, and maybe this is the start of kind of where a lot of our growth came from, is that we've seen that a weekly parish meal, that is just someone cooking meal for the parish and we hang out and eat, and then we do classes afterwards, has deepened the fellowship of the church. It's not coffee hour. It's not the mass, even though both of those things are so important. It's a separate time throughout the week where we meet and actually learn about each other. And that growth of fellowship has been central to the growth of the whole parish. The exact structure of that weekly parish meal is not necessarily going to be the same, but at All Saints, uh, what we did, as, as Father Sean was just saying, is we took Sunday school from Sunday and we brought it to Wednesday. So we eat together at 5.45 on Wednesday nights, and then we start having classes at 6.15 that are broken down by age groups. Uh, and that has been a benefit because uh, you, you have focused time for education at that agape, after the agape meal. Uh, it also allows Sundays, in a certain sense, to be wholly dedicated to worshiping uh, God at the altar uh, in the Eucharist. And we found that that allows for each of those times to be more specifically focused. But we do think that parish meal together weekly uh, is critical to the, the growth in the community of the parish. And it's critical because it's not just something that we've made up, right? This is the agape meal from the New Testament. This is a, a very biblical idea that Christians need to eat together, have a meal together that is actually separate from the Mass itself, but to eat together and to have a community built so that we can love our neighbors. And through that love of the neighbor, we are loving God. This is also then brought up over history time and time again. And one of the more famous times is through one of the Anglo-Catholic revivals in England, starting in the between the 20s and the 40s, where they really pushed this parish meal to break down the social structures of the Lord on the manor and his servants. And they made people eat breakfast together after mass. And that is what helped shape those churches and actually transform all English churches from that time forth. I think this is uh, one of the things that we've talked about is that 
these are perennial, timeless activities of the church, but they're, we believe, especially appealing uh, to young people today, to um, millennials and Generation X, and I think they'll also, we'll find they'll be uh, appealing to Generation Z or iGen. Um, and, and one of the reasons for that is if you look at, at the, the generation of the baby boomers and earlier, a lot of people grew up going to church, and that was part of what it meant to be a good citizen and a good person and to have a sort of well-balanced life. You'd fit church in there somewhere. I don't think that millennials who go to church are doing it to add to a well-balanced life or as one addition to this existing life to make it a little bit more respectable. When they come to church, they want it to reorient their entire lives. And in these four activities, um, probably most obviously in the parish meal, but you see a sense of a whole life oriented uh, around the body of Jesus Christ in the parish. Yeah, and that's a whole lot better than scrolling alone on your iPhone and losing your life to vast wastelessness of Twitter. Sorry, Father Miles. You should apologize to Father Westmore. That's true. <laughs> oh, shots fired. Well, I, what I really, what I really like about this, what is attractive to me about what you're talking about, is this is not a program. This is not three easy steps to grow your parish. This is not um, do this newfangled thing, as you've been emphasizing the whole time. This is this is just simply what the church has always done. And when churches or parishes don't do these things well, we see what suffers. So I wonder if you could, do you see? The, the the decline in church or the issues we've had in American Anglicanism or American Christianity even broader somehow related to these four issues? I think in a, in a lot of cases, yeah, if you want to think of it in this way, it's, it's a helpful framework. Um, there are a lot of churches that want to be relevant to a younger generation in order to grow their church. That impulse is not bad at all, right? Uh, but the way in which they do it to become relevant is to take the form or take the things that are going on within that young, younger generation and bringing it into the church. Now, that will draw people in, and it does. And we have a lot of huge churches, mega churches that get a lot of people in the doors. Maybe that's not even necessarily a bad thing. But what's not happening? What's not happening is growth. What's not happening is actually challenging the assumptions of that new generation that might be off. So, for example, we've talked about this about a lot, like millennials, uh, there's some great things about millennial culture, of which I am one. We live very highly curated lives because we grew up in a social media culture, I guess you could say. I, it's hard for me to remember a time when there wasn't computers around, right? And so, with that, everything I have, I own, I just kind of expect to be really, really good. I want it to be good, right? It's got to be excellent. Uh, that comes from even my cup of coffee, which I really like a lot. I want that to be, you know, this like fair trade, single source Ethiopian. I actually went to a coffee shop yesterday and I looked at the guy and I was like, oh, do you guys do pour overs? And he looked at me and looked at me. I said, you know what? I'll just take your drip coffee. He's like, oh, okay, yeah. But yeah, but that's a very millennial thing, right? Our parents would have never asked for a pour over. No, yeah. I want a pour over. Yeah, and just same way, our parents would have never really asked for a craft beer or for, you know, artesian gluten-free rice bread. I don't know. But, are you, know, you going Etsy and you can find fair trade toothbrushes that are ergonomically designed for your, you know. So anyways, the whole point here is that 
there is this idea of curation that where we want and we hold everything to excellency. At the same time, though, even though that's a good thing, like we care about the goodness of things, of the material world, those can be really blown out of proportion, like totally blown out of proportion, where now I'm spending $13 on my cup of coffee, or on the flip side, I'm spending $350 on a Yeti cooler to throw in the back of my truck. And this is why I think it's hard to do ministry with millennials, because you can't give them anything gimmicky or cheesy. They see right through it. It has to be excellent. I think what it is is that they need you to be authentic within it. And that authenticity means, yeah, you got to believe what you're saying. So when I say this is the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus, I actually believe that. And I believe that it is key to your salvation. And because I care for your soul, I care that you are here and present at Mass, and this is what we're doing here. If, though, I'm just saying the Mass, and then also advise them, yeah, yeah, it's the Super Bowl. Why don't you just take off this week? And, you know, no, that ruins it. Because what they're going to see is, oh, so it doesn't really matter? This is not full. This is not fully the truth? And I think actually what we're seeing is that millennials and the younger generations really care about truth in a different way. And that's what we can offer them through a lively and very deep parish. And I think in an attempt to be quote unquote pastoral, some older generations will be very gracious with a younger person, a millennial. You know, it's okay if you miss on a Sunday. It's okay if you don't do this or do that. When really the millennial my experience, since I am one, it, the millennial is craving not a legalism, but a seriousness. No, come be here, do this, and do it well. The lackadaisicalness, if that's a word, if not, cut it out. That was really long. Yeah, lackadaisicalness. I'm going to quote that one. That's going to be in the dictionary. <laughs> Hear me out, Webster. That is actually very off-putting, I think, to millennials. And, and you look again, as, as Father Sean which Father Sean was saying, you look at this idea of a curated, comprehensive life and how much time millennials will put into curating their lives when there's, in, in this sense, there's nothing at the heart of it. There's appearances and that's all. When you come to church and you actually have Jesus Christ as the, as the beating heart of the center of the parish, then how much more important is it that everything be comprehensively curated and everything be excellent with an attention to aesthetic detail and if you don't have that to a millennial, and this is not just millennials, but certainly to a millennial, then it seems like it's inauthentic. If you're saying you have the body and blood of Jesus, but you don't reverence the altar uh, and you don't take care or you, you are you know, shoddy with, with your liturgical uh, approach, then, then millennials are not going to believe that, you, that it is what you say it is. Or if you're putting on a nice English accent to say, Our Father, who ought to... Yeah, it's not real. Mm. That and excellence does not require that you be someone other than you are. The excellence is in the liturgy. Your job is to live up to it by not getting in the way, right? By not getting in the way by being distracting because you don't know what you're doing up there. And by not getting in the way by putting on the act. My favorite accent was the church I went to with <laughs> the, uh, where the, the celebrant uh, was Irish, I thought. Very stereotypically, like, uh, what's the Irish soap? Uh, very stereotypically, yeah. Can you give the voice for yeah. us? Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. 
And, and I, so I came in there. I thought, wow, this guy's Irish. Uh, and, then he, and then he gets to the sermon and he's like, what Jesus is saying to us today, that's actually not his accent. It was like a Midwestern accent. Uh, and, and it was very off-putting. Somehow he had decided that in order to, to say, you know, the mass well, he had to put on an Irish accent. And I think that's actually connected to, to this idea that I think is prevalent among boomers uh, in particular, that authenticity requires that all of the liturgy be uh, not just in understandable English, but in the same kind of English you would use on an everyday basis, that liturgical language can't be elevated. And that's just fundamentally a misunderstanding of liturgical language, obviously. It's also a misunderstanding of history. So I grew up being told, well, you know, the King James Bible was wonderful when it was written because that's how people talked. Well, now we know that's really probably not true. The, the line that shows up uh, throughout the, the King James Bible, three score and ten, uh, people didn't say that back in, in, uh, in England and in the 1600s. They didn't say, you know, how many minutes till lunch? Three score and ten minutes. That was not how people talked. It was deliberately elevated even then. And so this idea that, well, it always needs to be just the same language that, that people would use in everyday life is ridiculous. So elevated in our liturgy, in our language, but not inaccessible and not gimmicky. Right. There's a balance to be struck. So that's in the liturgy. Where, do, where are you all seeing excellent education and community and spiritual direction? I think education is an important one. Father Sean and I, I, I still teach uh, full time. Um, both of us taught for years. And, and so we care about that. I, I think in education, you have to be taking, taking an approach to, to consider what is it that you want your parishioners to get out of education at your church? Uh, how do you expect education to form them? And then with those goals in mind, you kind of backwards design this kind of the education lingo to figure out, well, how do we actually achieve that? Yeah. So you have to be attentive. That's really uh, the, the source of it. And you also, if, if you have different age groups, you need to be attentive to the ways that education should be uh, attracting and, and forming different age groups. I'll give you one example that we've done here at All Saints. It, we used to buy those box VBS programs and we would go through a week after that. And at the end, just think that was not us. That didn't teach anything that we normally want to teach or even desire to teach. And in the end, the kids didn't get a whole lot out of it. So we said, look, we need to be way more attentive to how we're doing VBS. So we totally scratched it. We totally threw those out and said, we're going to do our own thing. And with the help of some great, great mothers at the church and a lot of volunteers, we have developed this yearly thing that we call SMAC, which is awesome, Sacred Music and Arts Camp, where we teach kids about uh, sacred music, sacred art, and we do morning prayer every morning, and then we break up into sessions according to age. And for example, uh, last year was the theme of the Good Shepherd. And so some kids were making carving walking sticks and learning how to carve, while other kids were working on uh, illuminating medieval manuscripts down in the basement with candles and and you know chanting going on and they're working on psalm 23 and we teach them about the good shepherd psalm but at the same time what they're learning is just a really good craft and learning how to dedicate themselves to craft that is good education that's education that not only engages kids and then not only teaches them good skills to have 
but then elevates those skills and says, and this can be dedicated to the Lord, and there's theology behind it, and here's what it is. And you do that at different levels. But that's the type of thing now that we've been finding is really changing the hearts and minds of the children. And the questions they ask now to what they did, you know, five years ago are really different. And I think it's because of that formation, how it's happened. When you look at uh, the parish community centered around the parish meal, uh, I, excellence does not require that you are producing, uh, you know, Michelin star quality food, but you, you need to be making uh, good food. The way that we did it uh, the first year, our year runs from uh, September to May. So we take the summer off. Uh, the first year we had uh, two people who kind of headed up making the food. Since then, we've, we've done signups. And sometimes people will bring pizza. Um, often we'll have soups uh, providing for, for the whole parish. Uh, but what, what really is important there is that you're eating together and you're sitting down together. And what we've found is that that communal time in conjunction with coffee hour, it's not like we didn't stop doing great coffee hours when that happened. And small groups. That's right. And small groups together. Has, has created a community where people just want to be around each other. You're not always going to see that necessarily at every church. Like there are always, there are going to be cliques at churches and um, you may not naturally find people that you automatically get along with. But what we found is that we've formed a community where people want to be around each other. And now we find reasons to be around each other outside of that. So we have tonight actually is the uh, semifinals of the church league softball, slow pitch softball. Uh, which which our, our church is in. Our team is the Martyrs, and uh, we've been wow. martyred for many seasons. But now we want a, a playoff game. And I don't... I just feel like part of uh, doing excellent fellowship, excellent community, is just being consistent. Just doing it and providing the, uh, providing the atmosphere for it and teaching on the importance of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that our culture has a skewed view of community, a skewed view of relationships. And so the church needs to model this. And it has to come from often the clergy down and teaching, and then people will get on board. And the other things you see are, are what you see in other churches, that people make meals for um, families that have a, an illness in the family or, or when, the new, when a new baby comes. I mean, those are the things that should be happening at every parish, but being attentive to the community fundamentally in the parish meal then has created all these other ways in which we choose to be around each other on a regular basis. You have this great, wonderful vision from the parish, from the mass to education to community to spiritual direction, all together as this grand vision of what it really means to be a Christian, a Catholic Christian in the 21st century, because it's what it means to be a Catholic Christian since the very beginning. Even going back, I think you can see all of these uh, aspects of the communal life, even all the way into the Old Testament. This is what God's people has have always done. And then in the New Testament, it is Acts 2. The Acts 2.42. 2, which is our uh, verse for our church. It is actually that just lived out. But in every age and in every new generation, you have to be attentive of how to do that anew. And And... These are already happening to some extent. Every single aspect of this is present in every parish. It is. It just already is there. The question is, are you being attentive to it? Are you paying attention to it? Are you approaching it with excellence? And that's sort of what we wanted to do is say, oh, look, we're already doing these things. How can we do them better? So you're calling the church to simply be the church. And to help the church do this, you've created a website. Tell me about this. Yeah, so we thought, especially in the APA, so I'll talk from that perspective, 
is that looking around, it seemed that a lot of the churches were a little bit isolated. We'd see each other at synod, we'd see each other at clergy conferences and meetings. But other than that, there was not a, a place or a time where a lot of resources could be shared and done well. And so because of that, uh, we decided to come up with a website called Earth and Altar that would be a place to do that. Not only to be uh, a place where we provide education on liturgy, education, fellowship, and direction, but then to be a hub for Anglo-Catholic blogs, podcasts, and whatever comes in the future from that. Yeah, and, and what we found, I think, in a lot of cases is that around the diocese, there was a lot of reinventing the wheel, uh, that, that there were a lot of great things happening in individual parishes. So Father Paul Rivard at Synod talked about um, the great education work he's done. Wouldn't it be great if that were available to the rest of the diocese so that when I want to teach on the seven ecumenical councils, I have a framework. I'm still going to have to do a lot of work to do it well, but I don't have to completely start from scratch because I can look at what Father Paul has done. And that's sort of the vision of Earth and Altars. So for example, if you want to know how to do a sacred music and arts camp in your parish, if you go to the website, you look at uh, education, click on youth education, you'll find there an article how we did how we did sacred music and arts camp and why you should do it as well. Similarly, if you want to know, okay, how did we do, how, how can I get a parish meal going? Then uh, in this, under Fellowship. Fellowship. You'll find uh, an article just on the logistics of how you how you go about how we went about doing it, and you're, it will look different in every parish, of course. And what we hope is that yeah, there'll be the really practical resources like that, and then you know ways to create children's curriculum, and then links to our APA children's curriculum and books. But then we'll also provide theology and and thoughts about why these are important things for us to think about and to be attentive to. And so we also then will provide articles uh, written by a variety of priests and bishops to give more depth to what we're doing. And I think for someone outside the APA, someone who might not be Anglo-Catholic, but maybe an Anglican or maybe just an evangelical looking at things, I also want this website to be something that they can look at and be like, oh, that's who they are. And I think that's really helpful. We wanna be really clear about who we are, what we believe, because if you're interested, then you can read about it and then you can kind of work through that and say, okay, I agree with this. I agree. With, I don't know, that one's weird, but then we can engage. And through that clarity and through those explanations, um, I'm hoping that more people will learn about Anglo-Catholicism as well and create their own questions and have to be attentive to it. But it's worth remembering that uh, Anglicanism, Anglo-Catholicism, the church has always lived. And so uh, I came to the Anglican church and thought that the way that I was going to learn about it was by reading a lot of things. Uh, and, and, and that's true. You can learn a lot from reading and you can get a sense of who we are from earth and altar. But in order to really understand who we are, you actually have to go to a parish and participate and live in it. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, thank you, fathers. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for uh, being here today and for giving our listeners an insight into what's going on at All Saints in Charlottesville and really in the APA, the Anglican Province of America, Woo-hoo. and the hope, for, the hope for parishes to truly be vibrant places of the Catholic faith, to reach people with the gospel through these four activities for the sake of their soul. 
Well, if you like what uh, we're doing here at The Sacramentalist, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, rate and review, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, and please share us with your friends. If you have any questions about today's episode, and you would like to, you can email me or Father Wesley at thesacramentalist at gmail.com. And if you have questions for Father Sean or Father Mark, they're going to give you their website. Go to earthaltar.org and there's a contact form on there. And if you go to earthaltar.org and you say, hey, they should say something about this. Please let us know. Do not hesitate to let Father Sean and Father Mark know because this needs to be the best resource out there. A resource with excellence. That's true. And we're in the baby stages of this. So we're growing it and we need to know what people need. Great. Well, now may the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. Amen.